Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the b2bincubator.com and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching in February 2024. Remember, the b2bincubator.com. Apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand journal roles, and content leads and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategy that they created in it. Again, make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we demystify digital marketing and help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. We'll cover the right plan to get your amazing business growing online, along with tips and tricks from our upcoming playbook, as well as insights from successful people in the industry. If you're in a B2B business and would like to see your marketing work for you, then this is the podcast for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, with the right plan, anyone can grow their business online. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook podcast. Uh, you got your hosts, Kevin and George here. Kev, last week we spoke about the framework that we've set up for B2B businesses, which is the five Bs. And those five Bs were be ready, be helpful, be seen, be better, and be the best. In the next five weeks, we're going to explore each of these five stages to create that framework for you. So you guys have it in the back of your mind as we take you on this journey uh, for our B2B marketing playbook. Yes, George, that's a great recap of what we covered in the last couple of weeks. And this week, we're excited to dive right in with Be Ready. Being ready is the first stage of our marketing journey. Kev, do you want to take us through what being ready means? Yeah, definitely. It's really pretty easy. I mean, you gave a great example last week of talking about building the foundations of a house. And that's exactly what Be Ready encompasses for us in the B2B uh, marketing plan as well. So in our framework, in that first stage, we're looking to build the foundations of your business online. There's definitely parallels between the physical business that you've built and the foundations for your online business as well. And that really shows through in the parts that we look at in stage one. Obviously, we have defining your business and the brand. So why your business exists, what it stands for. That is something that you will probably do anyways or already have done. But in our framework, we take that a little bit further and look at how do we condense that down to something you can host online very easily as well. Then part two looks at finding your dream 100. George touched on this last week in our recap episode, this concept of finding the top 100 influences of your best customers. And we'll go into a little bit more detail today on how you'll single them out. We'll then look at your dream customer personas. If you're running any business, you probably should be looking at who your dream customers look like, and then trying to talk to that profile. Website is definitely another area of expertise that George has uh, more so than myself. He's written a chapter of our playbook on this topic, 
which he'll be able to run through the top highlights with you in this episode as well. The final two parts of building your foundations is about building that basic visibility online and starting to collect data and using that data that comes from the online space. This is where the online space really starts to split out from this traditional foundations that you've already built for your business and what you'd be looking to develop, particularly as part of implementing our framework, the five Bs. That's a great summary. Thanks, Kev. Uh, I think we should go into each of those now in more detail, uh, each of those parts of stage one, which again is be ready. So the first part, as you spoke about, Kev, is defining your business. Now, defining your business is really about clarifying why your business exists and why people should care about it. Uh, it's something that we've taken a lot of inspiration from Simon Sinek's Start With Why. And we noticed that really not just a lot of marketers, but a lot of um, leading business owners and I guess thought leaders too, talk about this book, Starting With Why, uh, Start With Why. And uh, there's a great reason for it. Yeah, as well as Simon Sinek, we obviously um, took a lot from his book, Start With Why, as George mentioned. Another really good one is uh, Building a Brand Story by Donald Miller. We'll link both in the show notes for your reference, but definitely great books that we recommend starting off that journey with. If you already read these books or you have some idea of what they cover, you know that they really go to the crux of highlighting exactly why your business exists and putting that why into a story form so it's easy to communicate. But more importantly, your audiences who are listening to that story can really empathize with it and internalize it for themselves. And that's what you're really aiming for when you're looking to define your business. Kev, I think it'd be useful um, for you to perhaps maybe give us an example of uh, what a really good why looks like, maybe in the B2B context for our listeners. Really great point, George. Always good to contextualize. So one that we discussed a few days ago was HubSpot. If you go on the HubSpot website, and not not necessarily everyone knows what HubSpot is, but um, particularly useful tool, um, particularly if you're in the B2B space. Basically, HubSpot is a platform that allows businesses to use their platform to manage customer interactions very effectively. So it's a CRM, customer relationship management tool. And what it does is every time a user comes into contact uh, or contacts your brand, whether it's through an email, a chat on your site or a phone call, you can record all these interactions into HubSpot system. And then you can use that data later to analyze how your interactions went. Why we bring that up as an example for how to define your business is if you go to the HubSpot site, there's a very clear message right at the top. There's a better way to grow. That's all they say, but it's already very clear what they do. They help businesses grow. And they think the best way to do that is not whatever you're doing already, but looking to use their system to leverage that customer relationship management and ultimately build on that to build a business. Just to add to that, Kev, um, you'll notice that the the HubSpot site, it doesn't just stop with that, there's a better way to grow. The rest of the page actually continues to compound on that message and on that why. And as you scroll down the page, it just keeps adding to it um, with all the different ways that you can grow and all the different people who can use this product to use it to grow. Uh, You know, you get all the way down to the bottom and I think the messaging that they have right at the bottom with someone who's obviously looks like is in their dream customer persona. There's an image of a person with glasses, really smiling, looking very happy next to text saying, start growing with HubSpot today. So that really compounds 
that original messaging of there's a better way to grow and HubSpot is the way to do it. So a really interesting example there. Kev, I want to take us on to the next part, which is Dream 100. And it's the part that I really love talking about and I think is a really, really big part of stage one in being ready. And we've spoken about it before, but the Dream 100 is about determining who your dream customers really are. And the 100 number in Dream is not about finding your Dream 100 customers. It's about finding the top 100 places online that your dream customers congregate. Now, that's a really important distinction and something that when we deal with this in a later podcast episode, we'll go really, really deep into. Other kind of top level things I'd like to mention about this Dream 100 concept is there's really two ways that you can make use out of the Dream 100. And there's two ways that you can leverage this audience. The first way is you can buy your way in. And the second way is you can work your way in. Buying your way in to the Dream 100 is about finding opportunities to use money that you have in your marketing budget to form partnerships with people in your Dream 100 to expose your brand to their audience. So an example of that might be um, HubSpot. I know back on HubSpot again, but they actually pay to advertise in a whole lot of uh, marketing podcasts. So one podcast that I love is Tim Reed's Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. And I think, I'm pretty sure HubSpot have paid to um, advertise on there. So we know that the audience of Timbo Reed's podcast is small businesses, marketers, people who are really the ideal clients for HubSpot. So that's one way of doing it is, is buying your way in. And the second way is working your way in. And working your way in is probably something more that I find him really annoying, but some people love him. Do you know uh, Gary Vionichuk, Kevin? I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah, I think he's, his book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, it's all about, and, and look, we go on about this too when it comes to helpful marketing, but it's all about giving, 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 and then asking for something back, which is the right hook. So the jabs is the giving and the asking for something is the right hook. So it's going to your influencers, helping them in the community out as much as possible. And then once they trust you and they see the tremendous value that you've brought to them, you ask them for something back one day. And it might be, hey, um, I've got this webinar coming up, which I think is going to be really, really relevant to your Facebook group or LinkedIn group or whatever, whatever other community it might be. Would you mind if I uh, tell people about it in your group? And that's a great way of driving people into your own funnel from your Dream 100's audience. So two different ways of going about it. One costs money, the other costs time. Um, and it's something that we're looking forward to digging into more later on. Well, wow, that's a great summary, George. Uh, I should say, listeners, that's probably the shortest summary George has ever given about the Dream 100. <laughs> it's a concept that he loves to drone on about. I think something that he said about the small business, big marketing podcast really applies to how I feel about him talking about Dream 100. The first time George told me about the small business big marketing, he said, Timbo really annoys me sometimes, uh, <laughs> particularly at the beginning when I was listening, but he really grew on me with his, his advice. And I think the same applies for me when I listen to George talk about the Dream 100. <laughs> It is definitely a concept that uh, at the beginning I was a bit dubious about and 
it's definitely a concept that George had to drill into me at the beginning. But once I started seeing it in play, when he started doing it for our podcast, for um, his own business, and I started applying it to different aspects of my job, it's had a real profound impact that I can't really question. So definitely a good one to, to keep in the back of your mind as you start to build relationships in your business. They can as they do in the offline world, become the main source and a real foundational pillar in your business online as well. Yeah, I just, you know what, Kev, I absolutely love it because, I, I so for context for the listeners, I came from a paid search background and it was all performance marketing and it was all about scaling up paid search and, you know, you had to put money in and you get something out. The results, yes, like they were very measurable, but you could generally predict them like on a graph. What I loved about the Dream 100 is when you actually do it, I prefer the organic way, um, but you know you can buy your way in using the Dream 100. But when you do it the organic way, there's so much that comes off the back of forming real relationships with your Dream 100 and their audience. And it opens doors that you would just never expect to be open and ones that are just not really going to come from paid search because you're operating in like very linear channels and it you don't have that personal element to it so that's why i find it so incredibly exciting because it contributes to real long-term sustainable growth and opens doors that you never even thought existed yeah i'll just add to that that by definition because it's organic and it's not paid it's also much more sustainable in the long run and that's what businesses need to focus on how can you build a brand that's sustainable in the long run you can't always afford to pay for the traffic or if you are one of those lucky businesses that has grown to the point where you can, you don't really want to um, because that money, that resource could be used for developing the product further, developing the service further. Um, so it's a very important thing to establish along the way. Kev, the Dream 100 dovetails really nicely into the next part uh, of stage one, which is be ready. And that next part is the dream customer persona. And I think it's worth talking a little bit more about what a dream customer persona is and why it's so important in your business. I would say it's along with brand guidelines, they're probably two of the most important foundational documents that you can have in your business. They're ones that are open to change uh, as your business grows and changes. Uh, but it's two things that you really need to have for everyone from your marketing to your sales to your operations team to be completely aligned. Digging further into the dream customer persona, it's a document that details what your dream customer looks like. Uh, so your dream customer is going to be made up of both the decision makers, people who are going to say yes to your product or service when you're pitching it, um, or the influencers, which are people who influence the decision maker uh, at a potential for a potential client of yours. And you want to detail what each of these look like. And that's everything from their demographics to what position it is that they hold in their company to what challenges they face in their role. Once you have that, you can gear not just your marketing, but you can gear everything about your product towards that dream customer, which, which makes sure that you're building something for someone very important and not just something really general that really isn't suited to anyone particularly well. Perhaps to help clarify uh, for you listeners, effectively what George is describing there is, imagine there's a person you're talking to 
and they're your dream customer, but you're defining them as a person you can see, touch, interact with. And that's where everything you do in the business now gears towards because they're your most valuable customer. You want to find more of them. So you make every part of your business service that profile. That's a great way of putting it, Kev. A marketer who I love who talks endlessly about this concept is Seth Godin, and I'm sure a lot of you out there have heard of him. And he has written many, many books, and a lot of their core message really is that great businesses that are loved by their customers focus on identifying and serving a particular audience. This dream customer persona is going to help you identify that audience. And if you and everyone in your department has it, then it's going to make sure that you actually serve that audience. Yeah, definitely. Seth Godin is a great example. <laughs> Just a side note, if you ever hear uh, him speak on any podcast or anything like that, he is so good, so articulate in the moment. George, you've told me mixed things about his writing. but <laughs> Look, anyone... I, I, I don't know if I can publicly criticize his writing. I think it's, I think that was meant to be just between you and me, Kev. I, I find his writing sometimes a little bit difficult to get to because he his book might be 120 pages and he might have 140 chapters in it. And some people might find yeah. that as like a, a really good bite-sized way of, getting through his book and you feel like you're achieving things by reading a single page. But I guess he he really elaborates on the one idea in, in a ton of different ways. All right, George, that sounds like a pretty clear description of what a dream uh, customer persona looks like. Can you give us an example maybe? I guess one that I've seen lately, as you know, Kev, I'm an absolute fiend for Facebook groups. I love <laughs> joining them uh, because it's just full of super niches, right? It's just a collection of people who were super passionate about something or experiencing something at the same time, all have really similar questions and they go to that group for answers. All right, listeners, as you can tell, George is very passionate about Facebook groups too. Another thing, just like Dream 100, where if you haven't noticed already, listeners, George gets very excited about some of these new concepts, as he should. And <laughs> my peak level of excitement is uh, not that high. Yeah, so. I think there's still quite a lot of Facebook groups uh, that I've invited to you, Kevin, and your invitation is still pending. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you haven't accepted. And anyway, Kevin, I really hope that you don't need this group that I'm about to talk about. Uh, I've seen someone launch a life coaching business for recently divorced men in their 30s and 40s. Kevin is recently engaged, so I guess technically you can't get <laughs> divorced yet. Um, but nevertheless, I hope to never see you in this group. And what I'd like to say about this group is because there's such a specific demographic, it's males in their 30s and 40s, they're able to profile and target these customers really well. They have a really good idea as to like what issues it is that they're facing in their day-to-day -day life. And this life coaching business is able to help create a product that's a solution for them. Wow, that's a great niche, George. God forbid I enter that group. Um, but I'll, I'll keep it bookmarked, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, look, it's pretty cool because they can completely tailor their marketing material in a way that resonates with them. So what is it that 30s and 40s recently divorced men like doing? They probably get into home brewing or they, they all of a sudden have a lot more time on their hands or they might really be getting into their golf. There's basically like a lot of different things and life events that they can then target and they know 
where they are and then they can find those people and bring them into their Facebook group where eventually they can sell them their product, which is completely tailored to them. That's business to consumer, but in the B2B world, you can really do the same thing. So you think about who are the decision makers, who are the influencers that can say yes to your product or service? What position do they hold in the companies that you're targeting? And what problems of theirs that they have and what problems of theirs are you solving with your product? Use this as the base for where you do your marketing and what it is that you say in your marketing. And you'll really, really see, I think, a lot more efficiency in your marketing because you know who you're marketing to and you know where to find them and you know exactly what to say to them because you understand them. What I really like about that example is it, it really goes to the crux of why we're doing this. Um, George and I are looking to help businesses that uh, are putting a positive flow into things in the B2B world or helping groups of people with a small business model. And it's such a great cause. And I, I think, Kev, like the, the more niche a business is, the more exciting it is. Because pretty often that niche forms because there's so much passion around a particular topic. That's right. And generally where there's passion, generally, obviously there's some bad examples of of passion, but generally where there's passion, good things happen. Yeah, the latest, the latest bad example being the uh, the march in <laughs> in, in the, Sydney yeah, that Sydney we march. just had, the anti-lockdown march, which is probably going to extend the lockdown. Ironically, while you were talking, George, another really great example came to mind, and that's Buffer. Buffer is a company that specializes in delivering a social media tool. Effectively, anyone running a social media campaign, an account as an influencer, as an example, um, they'll be able to use the tool to schedule the content and get insights on how to best grow the social media following. What they've been able to do with their blog is a great example of the persona um, in action. So they've been able to specifically target small business owners who use social media. That might not sound very niche, but it's niche enough for them as a business of that size. They're able to then go after all the goals and challenges within that demographic and solve them one by one in their content that they're putting out in their blog. Uh, interesting you mentioned that, Kev. Buff is a really cool tool and it's a great strategy from them. I know just from myself, my own Google searches, I've ended up on their blog a number of times. So it's something that clearly works. I'm well aware that there is a solution to a problem that myself or my clients might have. So well done to the team at Buffer. I should say I'm a little bit biased. I don't see Buffer as good at all because I'm technically working for a competitor in my day job. Um, <laughs> shout out to so Medigy. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Medigy um, who probably caters a little bit better to the B2B players in the field but um, do a similar sort of thing as Buffer who, as I mentioned before, they're much more tailored to offering the best solution in market for the social media users um, and purely on those social media platforms. So um, probably a bit more useful for, at this stage anyways, the product is more useful for uh, your social media influencers and things like that. Great plug for Medigy. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, the next part of stage one, be ready, is your website. So what is your business without your website these days? Particularly in today's world, the more traditional avenues of where you'd show off your expertise uh, or where you would meet potential new clients, be it at trade shows or uh, other offline events, a lot of them don't happen as much or we don't really know when they're all going to come back. An interesting way to look at it, George, is 
if you're looking at a traditional business, they have a shop front, they might have an office. If it's a B2B business, this is like the online equivalent. People will come, have a look at your store, look at your office, and they'll give them that first impression in the online space of how reputable is your business, how good is it at what it does. Yeah, you need to get people to trust you by visiting your website, don't you? Mm. And that's something that's really, really key to doing it, to doing a B2B website well. So people often ask us, well, what should be on my website or here's my website, what's it lacking? The two most foundational things that your website really needs to do is it needs to have content that speaks to your dream customers and is genuinely helpful to them. And the second part is you need to show off your expertise and show that you're the expert who can solve the problems that they have. If your website does that, then it's going a long way to representing your company online in the way that it deserves to be. There's a bit of crossover with this one when you're thinking back to the first section in stage one where we were talking about defining your brand and business. The example there that we gave was HubSpot and how it clearly articulated that um, definition of why and who they're talking to on the website. And it's a similar thing here. This is, if you will, the, the avenue or the tool in which you speak to your audience through to communicate that. So one good example is Slack, for example. A lot of people already know them. They're basically a corporate communication tool. It's like Messenger for your colleagues and your business, essentially. If you go on the Slack website, it's fairly clean. The only things that are on there is content that talks about how that tool works and how it solves pain points within company communication. As you move down the homepage, it has those elements that George talked about. It has helpful content as you move down the page, solving every one of those pain points and providing helpful solutions to the intended audience. Yeah, Slack's a really good example. Uh, HubSpot, again, um, for anyone who's listening who hasn't been to their website, definitely recommend you go and check it out. Uh, they're a great indicator of best practice. Uh, they've been doing it for a long time. They've invested a huge amount of resources into this and testing what does and doesn't work. It might be a little bit different for you and your audience, but it's really, really good to go and, and check them out. Just an interesting uh, geek moment here. If you do go on the Slack website and you've signed up and then you come back as a returning user, the site actually changes the home content to become more tailored to specific features that you might not have engaged with already. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's definitely something for um, stage five, which is be the best, yeah. right? <laughs> it's like it's definitely at their be the best stage. It's fairly advanced and does take a bit of resource investment to get to that stage, but it's definitely the gold standard that you will work towards. Hopefully for our listeners, you can see why we've put uh, your website as the fourth part of this first stage and it comes after really clarifying your why, clarifying who your Dream 100 are and then also detailing who your dream customer persona is because without those three things, you really can't do a great job on your website at communicating uh, effectively with your target audience. So that's why you really need to do those first three stages before you go ahead with your website or before you go ahead and rework your existing website. It's really, really important to nail those down. Vice versa is true as well. If you've got those first few elements ironed out, when you come to doing the website, it's almost writing itself because you're just writing down your why, your story, 
and what are the benefits? Oh yeah, it is so much easier <laughs> once you've done all that work first. There is nothing worse than staring at like a site structure outline for a website and thinking, what am I going to be putting on this page? What should go where? So Kev, we've, we've got our why. We've looked at our Dream 100. So we've got a good idea of who our dream customers are and where it is they're hanging out. We've got our dream customer persona. We've put our website together. That's all really building towards having your basic visibility online, isn't it? Yes, so that leads us on to the next step, which is building basic visibility online for your brand. This is where, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the preparation work starts to differ from a traditional business uh, and very specific to online arena. This part is all about making sure you come up first in the results so that a customer in the same position when they hear about your brand or engage with the brand somewhere and they go and search your brand, it's starting to come up. This essentially covers how your business website is connected to the internet in a way that makes it visible when people try and look for it. There's a few basic things you can do to start the snowball rolling online with things like Google My Business. Yeah, I love Google My Business. Uh, I think that people are going to see more and more traffic come through their Google My Business and it's going to get bigger and bigger as Google give you more and more ways to uh, optimize and build out your own Google My Business profile. For people who don't know what Google My Business is, when you Google something, if Google thinks there's a business that's relevant to it, it'll surface that normally on the right-hand side of the search results. It'll have a picture of the business or the product that the business owns, and it's a listing that's actually controlled by the business itself. It'll have uh, its address, its phone number, the services that it offers, a link to their website, and reviews on it as well. It's something that Google's pushing really, really hard. You can actually claim it for your own business if you haven't already. We always recommend people claim it because you can optimize it and make it more appealing for people to click on it when they see it and also increase the chances of your business appearing when someone searches something more generic. So yeah, if you haven't claimed your Google My Business listing, we definitely recommend you do that right away. It's a pretty quick process. Uh, if you need to get verified, uh, Google sends you out a little postcard with a code on it that allows you to claim that profile and verify that you're the owner at that address. This is probably a good time to bring up an example of how that might impact a customer's journey and, and how that would look in terms of impact on your business. So let's say, for example, uh, Canva, because everyone seems to know a little bit about Canva these days. But let's pretend that it's five, 10 years ago. Canva wasn't as big as it is today. You just heard about it and you went to Google it. The results page will show you some great listings about the business that will show you just how big that Canva business is. Even if you didn't hear about it before, it'll give you the impression that the business is set up, it's stable and it's reputable. Yeah, it goes a really long way to building trust, doesn't it? And all from an internet search, which is and it really even before someone gets to your website, right? They can see that you are trusted, uh, you look very official and um, it's a great first introduction to your business. And as George mentioned before, you can have full control of that. Once you've verified your account, you can control what the user sees in that listing 
and how you want the business to be perceived. Cool. So that's just some of the uh, basics of really building some online visibility. There's a ton more that we could dive into, um, but that's just one little item that we'd like to to highlight. Using the property analogy, again, because we're Sydney siders and Sydney siders love property, without having online visibility, it's like having a house on the market, but not being on realestate.com.au or domain or anything. It's going to be very difficult for people to find you. And I guess that leads really nicely into the last part of stage one as we see it. This is all about starting to collect and use data that's coming from online. One of the greatest advantages of having part of your business online or promoting it online is the data you can collect there. It's really important to make sure you're collecting that data from day one and start to use that data as it comes through in a sufficient volume. I guess it's probably like the biggest thing that differentiates an offline, um, a purely offline business to an online business. Online, you can see how users interact with your business a lot more. Instead of having to wait for someone to pick up the phone to call your business or walk into to your store and look at what they're browsing, you've got signals that are being recorded of how users are interacting with your site, what items or services they seem to focus on, if it's uh, a more service-based um, business and the website reflects that. You can see which features or parts of the web pages that users are landing on more and uh, and reading through and taking more time with. So then you can flesh those out uh, on your page and build more products in that area. Yeah, it's interesting, Kev. Like I guess in the offline world, people kind of have their guard up a little bit more. Um, and so you don't have that insight as to what's actually going on in their brains. Like you don't know what parts of your of your service that they actually really love or really resonate w- with them until you actually ask them. But you might be able to deduce that by looking at the analytics of your website and see, well, which services page should they spend the most time on and which services page is generating the most number of leads for me. And you can start to get an idea as to what is really resonating and what it is that you're dream customers really love about you and your company. Beyond your own website and uh, digging into some of the social channels that you guys might be posting on, be it Facebook or LinkedIn, uh, if you're just doing organic posts there, those platforms give you some great feedback as to the kind of reach that each of your posts get. And uh, you can look at who liked each post and you can look at what time you posted it and what you posted about and you can look at the results of each and you can go, okay, well, it looks like that my posts on Mondays at lunchtime are getting a lot more attention and a lot better quality people looking at them and a lot more reach than my ones on a Thursday night. Yeah, one of the interesting trends or patterns that comes out of this uh, use of data from online is that actually users don't know what they want. when when UX teams and research teams run uh, sessions to ask uh, consumers consciously what they're thinking about when they browse a website and consciously um, what they're looking for, what they like and don't like, when you just take recordings of people browsing the website, it can often contradict um, what they actually need. So uh, yeah, just an interesting tidbit. People don't actually know <laughs> 
what they want when they're browsing online. Yeah, they don't know what they want. They don't know what they're going to respond to either. Mm. Oftentimes they don't know what's going to resonate with them. I mean, look how ugly Amazon's site is. <laughs> Do you think it's because they can't afford good UI UX designers? No way. It's because <laughs> they're basing it off what works. These colors, this arrangement, that format that they have on their website is completely optimized to get you to purchase, throw things in your cart and check out and buy a whole lot more toilet paper from them. Amazon is definitely the original or the granddaddy of the e-commerce or online space. Um, it's probably the best example of the use of data. Um, if we're talking about personalization and tweaking websites and homepages like Slack does to the user experience, Amazon does it at a whole different level. Every time you log into the account, all the products that are recommended to you are based on your previous purchases, browsing history, other signals that they get while you're on their website. And Amazon uses all that behavioral data constantly and consistently to improve recommendations and ultimately improve the leads and sales that they get through their platform. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild how deep you can go. Um, for our listeners, when we get to this chapter, uh, we're going to show you guys how to set up some of this basic tracking on your website and how to dig into some of the reports on your social channels too, be it LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever it is that you're, that you're posting, your organic content. Uh, so you guys can start collecting and analyzing this data yourselves. As a first tip, if you haven't set up your GA or Google Analytics account already, please go ahead and do that and link it up to your website in a very simple way. As George mentioned, in a later episode, we'll go into a lot more detail about how to customize and personalize that to your website. But the earlier you set that up and start collecting some data, the earlier you start to get insights. For those of you who don't know how to set up Google Analytics and you don't have a web developer, which I think is probably most, if not all of you, Google it. Or if you want, you can email me. And if I have a bit more time, I can give you a hand. Um, email me george at waves.com.au that's w-a-y-v-e-s.com.au and I'll see if I can give you a hand getting your Google Analytics up and running so you can start collecting some of that juicy juicy data <laughs> sounds like a good deal yeah yeah I, I mean I think so <laughs> not for me but <laughs> <laughs> alright Kev maybe we should recap um, kind of what we covered in in this episode so far. This is stage one, which is be ready. It's of one of five stages. It's the foundational framework um, to what we see as the ultimate B2B playbook. The parts included in stage one include defining your business, your customers, your dream 100, and then how to use that to build the online foundations. So your website for your business, starting to get it seen online and then starting to collect data. Yeah, hopefully you guys can see why we've put it at stage one and why it's be ready. Uh, these are really important elements that you guys need to tick off and really all businesses need to tick off uh, before progressing further down the marketing journey. Or if you are further down that journey, absolutely worth going back and um, filling the cracks where they exist because it's going to benefit your business massively moving forward. Well, thanks for tuning in, listeners. Hopefully you found some of that helpful and a few good tips along the way. 
George, it's only taken two episodes for us to put some personality into these recordings, but hopefully <laughs> hopefully more beneficial than uh, entertaining at this point, but hopefully we can change that along the way. All right, cool. Well, thanks for your time, Kev, and thank you guys for listening. Um, as always, any any feedback for us, please reach out at hello at the b2bplaybook.com. Um, we're your hosts, Kevin George, and uh, see you next week. See you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook, the easier way to champion your business online.